this watch. This watch. This watch was on your daddy's wrist. It was shut down. And Did you ever annoyed. see the the? It's a short film that exists, like called "The Death of Salvador Dali." Yeah, of course. Okay, good. I am Dali, and I am crazy. Oh no, no, not that one. That's different. Oh, there, there was another. Short this was like a called... modern short film. No, but made I thought by, I like, saw that. Made by like a bunch that. of actors where, where where Dali meets Sigmund Freud, and all of his friends keep showing up. It was only like no. released on iTunes, I believe, and it was I saw it in college, and I'm like, eh, it's pretty good. See, I'm getting that confused with the I am Dali and I am crazy, which I thought was also called the death of Salvador Dali. I could be getting him confused. Because we watched a Salvador Dali short years ago yeah. that had that, and I'd never seen another one. Hold on, let me. That character. Let me Google um, this. Well, because we're already recording, welcome to the Wage of Cinema. I'm Jack. I'm Andrew, and I'm Googling strange short films that I've seen before. Yeah. The death of Salvador Dali. And maybe with special guest uh, appearance by Siri. Yeah, that's that's the name of the film. It's an eight eighteen minute film. So, uh, am I thinking of the same film? I don't think they're the same film. No. So there were multiple Salvador Dali short films that exist like that. Anyway, the death of Salvador Dali is actually a very fun little uh, short film okay. that I that I'd recommend to cool. all you folks out there all right well maybe i'll check it out sometime too because i but you know we're talking about other movies too yeah not well, the sequel to other movies we're also talking about other movies. no no and you know what you just uh you just reminded me i just want to briefly mention uh because suddenly talking about salvador dali reminds me of that quite poor film we watched years ago called little ashes oh yeah where uh, it was about the relationship between Salvador Dali and was it Lorca? Yeah. Uh, who, who the poet? Um, uh, Fe uh, Federico Garcia Lorca. Yeah, because they had a uh, like a romantic uh, uh, relationship. And Luis Buñuel was kind of always in the background being like... Kind broody. Of yeah, very broody, being like a big jerk. Um, Robert Pattinson as Salvador Dali. Uh, which was... Kind of weird. Like I, I, physically, I thought he did a good job, but yeah. in the voice, he didn't. I th well, I would think that that was more the director's fault. Maybe when you have when you have actors overacting and kind of doing it wrong, I kind of assume that it's the director saying, "I, I want more of this or more or less of that." Yeah, but that, that was like the one moment where I was like, you know, Robert Pattinson was you know blew up with the Twilight films, yeah, and so he already had a low estimation in my point of view. But I thought like if he could pull off playing Salvador Dali, one of my favorite personalities in all of history. Then okay, that would br that would really uh, enhance his reputation in my mind. It didn't because the movie didn't ended up not being. Uh, it was not very. It was compelling. not a good movie. I don't know if it wasn't good though. It's just like there was stuff not good about that film, <laughs> but it, I, but it was so long ago, it, and I was so like unimpressed by the film that I'm not quite sure what it was that was wrong with that. Before film. I get on to why I was bringing this up. Um, in a tangential way. I also remember that night we had like a little themed night. Yeah. And we watched Little Ashes and then we watched Little Buddha. Which was a really surprisingly good film. Yeah, I did not expect much from that film at all. Well, and we, that... That's the reason I rented it from the library because like it's a movie about the Buddha starring Keanu Reeves. <laughs> 
for how, those of you, and not only that, directed by Bernardo Bertolucci. Yeah. Of all things. And it's like, how can this be good? But it was <laughs> kind of, but it was Keanu Reeves doing a great job. Despite I don't know the about fact, a great job, but he but did a good job. It's like, but it's like you. He did better it, than you expected. You, you, but and you didn't expect it because it's a white guy playing an Indian man. This is some clear race bending we've I got will here. Say but that, then you're it, like, you watch him, and it's like, yeah, he's a great Buddha. But like, you know what, though, I will say that, um, I, but I will it. say though that he. What was I about to say? Um, he doesn't Keanu Reeves have a little bit of like, even though he's white, he also has some other Asian blood in him somewhere. I don't know. He looks vaguely Asian. He, it's that weird thing where you would, we know he's white, but there's also something about him where he doesn't seem. I've known people in my life who look vaguely Asian, yeah. who have no Asian in them whatsoever. I got you. But you know, you would never see Keanu Reeves walking down the street and say, oh, that man must be part Asian. Yeah, no. Who names their kid Keanu? I don't know. <laughs> Who names their child Callista Flockhart? <laughs> but the point Gwyneth is, Gwyneth uh... Paltrow, Imogen Poots. <laughs> Trust me, there are worse names out there. Maurice Micklewhite. Right. All right. But anyway, so. But it's like, but but, but, but Little Buddha is a surprisingly touching and spiritual film. Yeah. Which is like, it's like a little hidden gem that you yeah. find one day, and it's like, oh yeah, Keanu Reeves. This is why the man gets so much work and why his career keeps lasting i also didn't expect much from it too because i had read about the history of that movie where because uh, i had read a book years ago about uh miramax films which put out the film and uh, apparently bertolucci had a really bad time with uh the weinstein brothers like making that movie where they apparently cut down the film Isn't and that... who knows if maybe they did it for the best who know but it's the every story we hear about the weinsteins is about people having problems with the Weinstein. Almost, yeah. Like, Isn't that so the problem that Studio Ghibli had with the Weinsteins? Uh, that they no, cut down their I, film? No, actually, that that's not totally correct. I think that... Are you talking about Mononoke? Maybe. Because that one, they, they didn't they, they didn't cut down the film because that, like, Miyazaki had final cut. I think that, like... He they did no 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 the earlier film earlier than that I think um, did they buy another film from someone it? did no maybe it was someone else no no it was another company that he's I'm getting way off track the reason why I brought up Little Ashes <laughs> let me go back to that so, was because yeah there we go well that's because Robert Pattinson Salvador Dali and I just saw a Robert Pattinson film called Good Time. Percy, I got to come clean with you about something. What? So I told you about my brother, yeah. I told you about the program he's forced to attend and how he shouldn't be there. Don't count your chickens before they hatch. Do you understand that? No. Something happened. I don't know exactly what. My brother's been arrested. He's being held at Rikers Island. He could get killed in there. I'm suddenly... I am now a fan of Robert Pattinson. Nice. This is a excellent performance in a decent film this has been a this movie has been a bit hyped up by critics uh and sometimes with these films either the hype is really confirmed or it might not be i don't know i'm still that's that's what it always is with hyped films it either is or it is yeah and this i don't know if it was 
And I wish it could have been, because it's... What the movie is, this movie Good Time, uh, Robert Pattinson is this kind of low-life guy who has a brother who has mental issues. Um, there's almost a little bit of... I haven't seen this movie or read the book, but from what I understand of Mice and Men, you have that kind of... That, 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 that type of dynamic where you have the one brother who tries to be in control... The other one who's a little bit slow and not fully with it. I felt like maybe the the filmmakers are trying for a little bit because what happens is Robert Pattinson's this low life who decides just one day out of nowhere to rob a bank, but he does it in a type of way where he he doesn't have like a gun. He just goes up to a teller, slips a note, and says, "I have money. a gub." <laughs> Please nice, apt natural. Nice, nice pull. Good one, Andrew. I'm I'm very proud of you. Thank you. Have you Jack. ever actually seen that movie? Most of it. You've seen Take the Money and Run. Yes. Good for you. <laughs> I'm glad. I, one of my favorite parts of that movie is when he's uh, trying to play. He's, he's, he's trying he's, to he's play playing. the cello, cello in a marching band. <laughs> All right, but back to Good Time. That's not. This is not a funny it's movie. Just, this is not Woody Allen. No. Oh God, no. No, this is like. So the, the they rob this bank and but then they it's the, and then they're I don't know even what his plan is it's just like let's get away from here get on a bus go away and then the the money like whoever packed the money into the case it had that kind of explosive color dye oh yeah and so they get blasted with color they're running from the cops and the slower brother gets caught by the cops and put into uh Rikers or whatever they call it. And now the rest of the movie is first off Robert Pattinson trying to get his brother out of jail, trying to get money together. And then when he finds out, Oh, Oh my God, my brother's been beaten up by, uh, these other prisoners. Um, I got to try to get him out of uh, the hospital where he's at. And then one other thing goes wrong. And then another and another and another, um, it's like a, a night from hell. It's almost, now that I think about it, it's imagine if after hours, but the lead Went character was, forever. but it was a, but the main character was a complete douchebag and a completely <laughs> unlikable guy. But the, again, the plus side is that Robert Pattinson, I don't know where this came from. Like you, you considering that. I've you know I've seen all but one of the Twilight movies. He's actively bad in those movies. Like aside from those I, not being good movies, I think he's actually pretty terrible on the whole in those movies. The thing with I think and I know that might Robert sound like Pattinson, weird to criticize Twilight with that, but no, he's not very good in them. Robert Pattinson, the, I the act, actors have a hard job. Right. Some actors are awesome no matter what they do. Right. Some people have real talent. Some people are good under certain certain circumstances. Yeah. And I imagine that Robert Pattinson got his big break with Twilight doing stuff that wasn't very good. And stuff he would never be perfectly comfortable with. Yeah. And then, you know, where do you go on after that? That's that, I guess that's fair. And then he gets into this movie, a Good Time, 
and it's like, oh, here's something, here's something in my wheelhouse. There's something it, I could do. And then it's a director who's who sees like his strengths and is like, okay, here's what we do. We work with this. And you know, he you know he got he caught a good break in terms of like he got a good job. He did. And I, I would say I I feel like I'm talking about like a like a nephew or something. <laughs> good job, Robbie. <laughs> but you know, like actors are people. You have good jobs, you got bad jobs. That 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 that's true. Every I, movie is a job. I also had it a little bit against him too because I had seen him in a a Cronenberg movie called Cosmopolis which it has it has its fans I think it's kind of a pretentious piece of shit except for the last 20 minutes which has Paul Giamatti and then it suddenly becomes awesome but that's that's neither here nor there the point is good time and again I'm I'm kind of like hesitatingly recommending it because there's a lot of the movie that's very off-putting in like as far as some of the subject matter, but though, but it's also compelling just because, as much as you don't like this guy, the perf- it's almost also another thing that came to mind too. Talking about Scorsese, Mean Streets, mm. it's a little bit like imagine if the De Niro character was the hero of the movie. <laughs> But it's also that level of acting, too. Like, I don't make that comparison frivolously. This feels like, holy shit, I'm seeing De Niro in Mean Streets here with this Pattinson performance. Mm. Like, he's that good in it. I just wish the movie had made me care a little bit more or, like, given me a little bit more of a reason why he's doing this aside from I'm a random low-life guy who doesn't care about it anything. sounds like a movie where you you see a good performance and you see a good good filmmaking yes but it's not something that you're you're like you, ru- you want to rush back in and see again no I mean that's just the way some films are I, I wonder why some films I there are films that I see that get like high, highly praised by critics which are probably just really good films sure but it's always like it's like about an Iranian family going through a divorce, or it's about like uh, a man who bu- who's, or it's like a man buying foreclosed houses, and it's like okay, great film. You're, yeah, you're talking about movies I might have mentioned on the show before. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> and it's like okay, great, you're doing all these great things, but when am I going to see something entertaining, something I want to, something like exciting i think that the difference for me with good time is that the like i wanted to get a little bit more invested in the plot and i just didn't it didn't quite do it for me even though there's some impressive filmmaking and some really striking moments just like how the movie uses color like if you check out the trailer later you might see what i mean it even has it has one of those soundtracks too that it sounds like tangerine dream like took like a hit of ecstasy or something. Um, so I I would say when Good Time comes out on DVD, go check it out. In theaters, I don't know. But Robert Pattinson, definitely one of the the best performances of this, of this year. Cool. Um, what was something you wanted to talk about? There's something that's, uh, that I've been thinking about a lot. Uh, and it's kind of... As we get closer to the end of the year, this is going to become more uh, more relevant. But it's basically about Star Wars. Oh, because of the news of uh, Colin Trevorrow? No, I'm not particularly worried about that. It's just, <laughs> I- I'm having... All this starts where I, I was catching up on like Red Letter Media. I was watching like Good. a whole bunch. Of, I've been watching a whole bunch of their videos, like the best of the worst, and I, I, I love. Few, I watch a, a lot of, of their videos and a few of their reviews of movies I've seen. 
And, you know, just to get, oh, what do you, what do they think of this? On half in the bag. Yeah, half in the bag. Yeah. That's the name of their, their segment, where they do reviews. Yeah, movies. well, they do new reviews. They also do a show I like quite a bit called Review. Right. Where they revisit films. I haven't watched that, but the one I want to talk about is half enjoy a great deal. Well, I I, I actually have a quote. I I've listened back to the review that we did of that, and I... from this review is something that Rich <laughs> Evans said. Okay, he was in on the review. Yeah, Star Wars's dirty secret is this idea. Rogue One tried to do something different with the Star Wars unit, and he said it doesn't really work because Star Wars's dirty secret is outside of those main films. You can't do much with it. Well, it, yeah, he if said the secret not... is that it's very small. Yes. I think that was the words he used. The Star Wars universe is much smaller than we think it is. Because if you're not doing a rip-roaring, action-packed, fun time, then you're, it's what you're doing is not necessarily going to work. Rem- which is my... Which kind of mirrors my opinion about Rogue One. It doesn't really work. It, well, there's and, also this tension that you can feel watching it where, I mean, if you asked me to pinpoint where was a reshoot scene and where was a scene that Gareth Edwards shot, because ultimately, technically the movie has two directors. It's just that one of them went uncredited. Gareth Edwards is credited, but this guy, Tony Gilroy, who actually made a great film years ago called Michael Clayton, which is not at all like Rogue One. Have you seen Michael Clayton? I have seen Michael. Yeah, Clayton. he 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 did the reshoots on Rogue One. But but anyway, the point I'm making is yeah. though, if you ask me to pinpoint which scenes are reshoots or which were, I couldn't tell you. But there is this slight feeling where you can tell where they were trying to maybe go in one direction, but then they were being pulled back by. The, the powers that be, whether they were like the people at Lucasfilm or at Disney or whoever, who were like, no, but we need to still keep it in this. We can't go too far outside of what you're expecting. Yeah, there's this tension between breaking new ground in the Star Wars universe and making it a Star Wars film. <laughs> now you're just making me think back to Yeah, I know. We won't do that now. But <laughs> that was one of the funniest things. It ever. was. It was. Every uh, sing- also, if you look at all the reviews of the movie, like not the reviews, if you look at the comments for that review, you just for for the past year since that review, you just constantly see people saying it broke new ground. But um... but the point is okay. There's so much. The fan service kind of plays into this too because it seems like a lot of Star Wars is the episode seven, Rogue One. You revisit a lot of familiar elements. Yes. And a lot of the recent Star Wars material seems to be recycled images and themes and characters from stuff that we've already known. And I begin to think now. Isn't it time we moved on from Star Wars? Well, you say that, but it's not going to be until it stops making money. No, you're right. And, you know, Star Wars is going to make money. People are going to get introduced to it. And the first three films are great. They're great cinema. But, I mean, isn't there a moment at which we, as a person, as an individual, says, why don't I try something else? And why don't I ch- stop trying to relive the magic of Star Wars? I don't know. I mean, now, the 
in a way, what we're talking about, though, could be... It won't happen right away, but it could be the eventual... Not, I'm not going to say death, but little by little... Part of also what's made what made Force Awakens, you know, like the highest grossing movie in American history, and it's now like the third highest grossing movie worldwide, is that um, because of the anticipation for another one. Hmm. And now you have a movie coming out every year, and it's the expectation that you're going to have movies every year, even for movies that... Um, speaking of like Redler me just did another video about this where they they have this great you should check this out they have a they have a show that basically does a parody of other pop culture shows on YouTube mm-hmm. and things like that um, called the nerd crew and their last episode uh, they were talking about the news that there's going to be an obi-wan Kenobi standalone film. Yeah. And then a Jabba the Hutt standalone film. Yeah. And you just have to look into your soul and ask, why? Yeah. <laughs> I had that moment. Yeah. <laughs> Not just because uh. I think these are going to be bad films. Not just because I think they're unnecessary. But just because so much of Star Wars now, the Star Wars fan culture is about immediately pouncing on everything you perceive as negative. People had very negative things to say about episode 7 when they came, when it came out even though it was one of the most anticipated films of the last of this decade. Mm. And it's and I just and the culture I keep seeing coming around on itself is this cycle of anticipation and abuse basically. <laughs> Abuse of who? Who's like? Are the fans abusing themselves? Not themselves. Mean? It's just like maybe it's like this this chasing of this sort of unattainable ideal, where anything that falls short instantly becomes garbage, or looking or looking at Star Wars in this sort of high minded way, which you know it's uh, it's a great it's it's this it's this great franchise with with a great history mm. but so much of but so much of everything new is a hearkening back to something which exists back well, yeah, it's, well, it's, that's... it's a looking back and but then when you look forward in another direction like rogue one did it doesn't work well also it's the thing, everything is like... either the best or it's the worst well that that when is a, that is a that, problem when that sometimes. does when those things are not even close to the truth well also it's you know that that thing of people being like Oh my god, Rogue One is the best Star Wars movie since Empire. Which it's not. No, <laughs> No, but aside from that, here's the But another, I mean, is but, it a piece of trash like I said it was? No. No, no, no. But here's... But it's, it's, just, it's just another but, movie. But but here's what I, I was going to say, though, because you made me think of something. Like, one of the things that made those first few films great was that they weren't work, working off of other Star Wars movies. They're working, and it's it's almost like we're now getting second-hand goods, or even third-hand goods, and we don't even realize it, because originally a lot of that George Lucas stuff, and even what Irvin Kirshner did in the sequel, you were take they were taking elements from all over pop culture, from samurai movies, from comic books, from serials, we've talked about this obviously many times, yeah. but they fashioned them into its own thing, and that's what 
even if people didn't say it out loud, that's what they were responding to. Oh, here's this thing we haven't quite seen before, but it's like you got this car that's packaged in such a way that, oh, I, I this feels familiar, but it has great seats and the steering wheel that's awesome and this even like the windshield wipers do things I haven't seen in a while. Now though, we're getting that car but they're not doing anything else to it exactly. They're only they're maybe having a little bit more enhanced special effects or another or you're having a car which very closely duplicates the characteristics of the previous car. Something like that. Now you have movies that aren't taking from other pop culture. Now again, who knows? Maybe Last Jedi will uh you know really blow me away and I'll be like, "Oh, hey, they could still make a really great Star Wars movie." But But it's never going to be like it was because it can't be right that's the whole thing lots of us you and i experienced star wars as children yeah and because and by virtue of when we saw it, it became a major part of our lives and it became a really big influence on how we think about storytelling and how, what we think is awesome yeah now we can never get that back mm -hmm. because you and i will never be 11 years old again no. And we'll never be as impressionable as we were back then. No. We just happened to see one of the greatest movies of all time when we saw Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. All right. And now it's this... And now we have this these movies which keep harkening back and to things we like, but they're never going to be as good. No. And, and then it's going to be something that keeps happening over and over again. When and hopefully we begin to see them as what they are, just more movies that may or may not be good, which it's, we may and, or may not. And also, like. it's it, it becomes it. The ultimate thing too, and I feel like we might have talked about this before, but it bears repeating that if you don't really have any artistic reason for it, if it's just product, if it's just well, we need some type of standalone film. Let's do a job of the hut thing, or again in this. Uh, this ner uh, Red Lair Media Nerd Crew video, they're like, oh my god, there's news of a standalone movie of Pondubiba. And it's like, <laughs> who's that? The, that guy who was standing in the background uh, following Lando Calrissian around in Cloud City. He's gonna get his own movie. Hey. And <laughs> and, even, oh, you know, here, here's a key thing, though, I should also mention, though, because right now, a lot of this big Star Wars craze and hype, again, from people like us, or not not like exactly like us, but people in our age range, people in their 30s and 40s, who lived through Star Wars as kids, and whether, you know, the prequels, that may have may not have been a factor, people, let's forget about that for now. But the real question is, though, will it fully carry over to the next generation? Because that could be what actually kills Star Wars. If it doesn't you know, resonate with the next generation of people or kids right now, what if they are what what if right now the box office is really more like adults going to see these movies and the kids are just kind of like, Yeah, we're just on our phones and blah, 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 blah. I I just kinda hope that the next generation gets over Star Wars in a way. Yeah, no, I do. I too. just want let's move on. Or you know I, what? Or or you know what? Make them a little bit more special. If you are going to keep doing Star Wars, don't do a movie every year. They're not going to be special anymore. They're just going to be an obligation. It's like <sighs> visiting your 
family it's every like, year. It's like going to see a Marvel movie every free comic book day. Well, at least though Marvel though we're, we're in an age where we didn't have Marvel that. at least has consistent high quality. Yeah, well, and now we've had two recent Star Wars films, one of which was good, the other of which was, was kind of was pretty mediocre. Yeah, I don't know. Pretty if I would mediocre. Say... That's not a good phrase. <laughs> But everything in Star Wars, even though Star Wars was kind of derivative, it still worked in its own right in those films. It wasn't yeah. just, we're going to make a callback to a certain kind of character. It's like, this works in this movie really well because of the writing and well, how well we well, made this film. Good writing and good acting is always just good writing and good acting. A, a good number of problems in Rogue One are just not caring about the characters. Poorly written characters and motivations that don't make sense yeah and and all those things uh, there's also another video i would direct uh, any of you listeners to uh there's also another good video by this youtuber jenny nicholson um she did a video about rogue one not too long after that came out and she really broke down she was probably even angrier than the red letter media guys I, I just find all the sort of hype around star wars nowadays to be just kind of kind of harmful in general i mean <laughs> i don't know about what do you mean harmful it's like we we have a teaser trailer for star wars and then out come all of the analyses and plot theorizations well, again you gotta watch that and then proof, you yeah. have all this reaction before we even see a new trailer yeah which will slightly explain things more and then the movie's gonna come out and then it's going to be the exact same thing. It's either the best or it's the worst. You're all, and also, people are reacting to advertising yes. as if it's the holy grail. Yeah. Like, you're, react, you're reacting to a piece of marketing as if you're Indiana Jones looking at the, the golden statue. Yeah, stop. Like, it's like to movie it's like to to disney and and the and lucasfilm it's like stop trying to make me froth at the mouth every time you have a new yeah. piece of star wars news but also i should also because it will... gets tiresome after a while oh god especially with something that you and i both enjoy yeah where it's just like enjoy the film or don't why can't we just relax for a little well, while? Well, the interesting thing, though, this year, to me, I feel like I've heard more news about problems behind the scenes than anything as far as the movies. I mean, the the, sh the firing of the two guys on Han Solo, and then now just this past week, the firing of uh, Colin Trevorrow, who's going to do episode nine, which, Frankly, I'm I'm okay with that after the book of Henry. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ, that was the worst movie of the year. Um, but but what you're what we're talking about though branches off into other things though. It's not just in Star Wars. It's a problem in a lot of popular culture where we feel like let's expand our universe. Let's expand our story to look at this thing or that thing let's to explore. Expand our bank account yeah there's that too let's expand our bank account oh i have to mention this really quick because I, I, I don't know if i'm being I, naive or, or where i i feel like there's something of the purity of star wars to be saved or whether it's just like being sick of uh, of the pop cultural phenomena of star wars which is something i never thought i would feel Especially, yeah, because you were you grew up as a star wars fan and yeah, i did too I, was, I had star wars at my bar mitzvah <laughs> Uh, I don't know if I've admitted that before on Mike, 
that was my theme for my bar mitzvah. Some boys have baseball or sports or they do something. I was so obsessed with Star Wars around the time I was preparing for my bar mitzvah. Basically, for nine months before I got my bar mitzvah, it was basically studying for doing my bar mitzvah and Star Wars. Jack, give me a high five. <laughs> I should also mention this was one of the things that real uh, that secretly I probably credit my bar mitzvah video for getting married because <laughs> Corey watched that kind of early in our courtship and no there is a video somewhere in my Star collection Wars indirectly led to your that marriage somebody edited together whoever was hired to shoot my shoot my bar mitzvah. Edited together clips from Return of the Jedi at the beginning of this video, which led into the rest of it, where you see, like, my dad kind of went nuts. He he created, like, a giant standee. Like, he took, like, a giant standee of Luke Skywalker and cut out, like, printed out a picture of my face and put it over it. And that's what, like, people signed when they came to the bar mitzvah. <laughs> Next episode of the Wage of Cinema, we're going to review Jack's Bar Mitzvah video. We're going to talk about the editing, the acting, and the overall presentation of this uh, this work of cinematic art. How you is know what this? The funniest thing. You know what the funniest thing about that though is. Oh, it's late... funnier. No, no, no. But later that year, because this was in '97, later that year, Woody Allen comes out with Deconstructing Harry. And he has a gag in the movie where it's just, it's almost like a throwaway gag. He's doing some scene where all of a sudden he cuts to like a bar mitzvah where the theme is Star Wars. My parents, like when they saw that, they basically didn't stop laughing for like five minutes straight. Keep the Han in Hanukkah. We keep going. All right. But this is, but what I wanted to talk about though is this, this problem of having like expanding our universe and slash bank accounts this is it's getting out of control into other media that and sometimes you try to understand it well at least this had its own universe like for example there was a series called bates motel yeah in the past several years where you know let's look at the young years of norman bates and it, i never watched bates motel but i can at least understand its existence oh uh, that was quiet <laughs> don't, don't worry about that um I can at least understand its existence. I mean, there were a number of Psycho sequels in the 80s. They probably weren't of great quality, but they existed. Because let's see what happens to Norman Bates after oh, he gets out of the loony you know, <laughs> we've gotta We've got to watch Psycho 2. <laughs> I've probably seen Psycho 2. I can't Psycho believe two. that in the years of you and I watching <laughs> terrible films, we haven't watched Psycho 2. Or Psycho 3. Which Anthony Perkins directed, didn't he? I don't know about that. Well, there's also Psycho 4 in the beginning, where I feel like I remember there's a scene where Norman Bates is a DJ or something, or he has some radio show. This sounds like a fever dream. <laughs> I probably watched it after my bar mitzvah. Um, no, but what I'm leading up to is, you know, that seems like why we need that show, but at least there was kind of like a for lack of a better term, franchise. Probably didn't need to exist. There probably didn't the need to be... The psycho-expanded universe. <laughs> there maybe didn't need to be... Th but at least, you know, Psycho was already kind of a pulpy 
B movie that was you know was elevated well, because what, it was Hitchcock. That's what the book Psycho was. Yeah, that was. If you ever read Robert Block's Psycho, that's not. It's not a great book. It's basically that was written as something that you stuff into your pants pocket that when was, you're walking that around. That was book schlock. It's actually it's not a bad book, but you but it's it's not class A literature. It, Norman Bates is written as like a fat, lonely man in that book. Hmm. Um, but anyway, what I'm leading up to is, well, I, I just read something that kind of upset me a little bit. And I shouldn't be upset by this. I should try just be like, eh, whatever. It should Let be its it own out, thing. man. There's going to be a series on Netflix looking at the early years of Nurse Ratched. That's dumb. Cuckoo's Nest. But okay. I, I don't know. I just... Uh, that really hit me hard because One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest is one of my favorite movies, like top, so far up there in my top ten. And don't worry, the guy who wrote the book won't see the television. Series <laughs> <either>. <laughs> That's true. Ken Kesey, very much dead. Uh, but it's just, uh, I mean, who knows? Maybe there's some talent working on in it. But I just. You have that movie that is just so well contained, and it—I I almost could see—I could see more worth in doing another version of the film, because then at least I could see someone saying, "Well, maybe we could try do another version that's much closer to the book," because the book was a little bit different than the film. They're both great in their own ways, but the book was from a different point of view. It was from the point of view of the Native American chief guy. And it was also a lot trippier. Like, I think Ken Kesey was on LSD when he wrote that book, which is not surprising because mm. the magic bus. But I just... Sometimes, because it... it I, I know I shouldn't be bothered sometimes by why something should even exist, but this is a case where I'm just... You know, why don't you just go ahead and make, like side quills to citizen kane while we're at it oh yeah how about we have like we haven't had the movie yet about uh like we need Ag to... oh, how about we have the backstory to agnes moorhead and citizen kane yeah or or, or, or the or, later adventures of that one of that journalist who keeps asking about rosebud or how about like what, what was, was the sleigh doing during the whole time uh, from the beginning of the movie to the end. Yeah. What was Peter Lorre up to in uh, Casablanca? Let's have a whole Peter Lorre expanded Yeah, universe. let's have the movie of Peter Lorre shooting those two German couriers. <laughs> you know what, Jack? I think you and I are going to become great screenwriters. <laughs> uh, Wait, quick, music. what other terrible ideas can we come up with? Uh, how, about, um, um... how about a sequel to Lincoln... Where we look at the presidency of Andrew Johnson. <laughs> you know what's funny you say that, though? I think I had read originally that Harrison Ford was almost going to be cast in Lincoln as Andrew Johnson. Huh. But he, I think he might have got cut out at like the script But stage, Andrew Johnson but... was so inconsequential to the story <laughs> that everyone's like, why bother? Yeah, basically. How it's about like, a prequel to E.T.? Which catalogs the life of the walkie-talkie guy. And then we intercut it with scenes of E.T. on his planet. 
And it's like, why did he come to Earth and do that? And then it's like, walkie-talkie guy's like, aliens are coming. We, we gotta should, find out what's going on. We, we should have a prequel to the guy in Lawrence of Arabia who's the first one to accompany Lawrence yeah. when he comes to there and he gets shot by Omar Sharif and... The know. later adventures of Omar Sharif. Sher- Sharif Ali. Well... What was what did Prince Faisal do after the end of that movie? <laughs> yeah, it's like we kept on following that Lawrence guy. What'd he do? He's yeah. gone a motorcycle. How about a movie of all the British soldiers who were trapped on that island during the guns of Navarone? <laughs> Dunkirk was a big hit. I think we could do another similar British soldier movie. It's got an existing franchise. How about a prequel to... <laughs> the Dunkirk Expanded Universe. <laughs> oh, I'm going to cry. Oh, man. Or the prequel of how Anthony Quinn's family died. In... in, in, in from Guns of Navarone. I don't even remember that. That was his character's backstory. He and Gregory Peck like didn't like each other because Gregory Peck did something and and um, and Anthony Quinn's family died. That's why right. he hates him. It's funny when I think back to that movie. I think I remember David Niven the best. How one. about a prequel to Force Ten from Navarone, which somehow connects it to the guns of Navarone? What? You know the Force Ten from Navarone with uh, with uh, Harrison Ford. That's a movie. It is. I never heard of that. Force 10 from Navarone? Yep. When did that come out? Was that like before 70s, Star Wars? Probably, yeah. Or maybe that was like after I finished Star Wars. I was like, ooh, now I get to work. What do you got for me? Force 10 from Navarone? I don't even know if it's supposed to be a sequel to Guns Have of Navarone. Have you seen it? No, I just know it exists. <laughs> <laughs> or I'll throw out one more. Um, uh... We Dunkirk have... 2, Return to the Beach. <laughs> the most unnecessary sequel since The Birds 2. Yes. <laughs> Which is a thing that exists. Birds, um, no, the Birds the birds 3, Why the Birds Decided to Attack. Well, that is a movie that's called Birdemic. Yes. It's because of global warming, Andrew. <laughs> We need to have. We need to have. Here's one more. You have like a Grapes of Wrath movie, like a spinoff of that, about like, I don't know, like a random guy that they come across when they're on their trek from the Dust Bowl to yes California. Random guy, you get a movie now. Oh man. Oh Christ. Um. First, uh, so you know everything's terrible. But the uh, point is, Star Wars. ATSTs, ATSTs. Um, now, I also uh, let me bring up something else though. Let me change track a little bit because I want to bring up uh, something really fast that because uh, um, I I actually saw something again which we talked about this on the podcast two and a half years ago. I saw a Texas Chainsaw Massacre on the big screen in thirty five millimeter. You know what's funny? A few weeks ago, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was on TV. Oh yeah, and I was watching it, and my parents didn't want to watch, so I had to change it. <laughs> well, I'm not surprised. That doesn't <laughs> seem like a movie your parents would watch. No, it's not really their speed. No, no, which, which is funny because I don't know if 
I don't know if we talked about, I think we might have, that Toby Hooper wanted originally, he shot this to be a PG movie. It is now. Nah. No, it's not. That's an art. God, this, I have to talk about this though for a second, because, well, Toby Hooper just died. And uh, oddly enough, if you go back to episode 10, The Wage of Cinema, I don't know if we did this intentionally or not, but we talked about to- to the two most iconic Toby Hooper movies in one episode. We talked about Poltergeist, and we talked about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. Um, I will talk about Texas Chainsaw Massacre until my mouth starts bleeding. <laughs> well, we had I, I listened to our conversation again, and I, I thought it went well, but what was interesting about this time... Um, I saw it at the Amal Draft House, and it was, uh, you know, an in-memoriam honorary screening. And they had a 35mm print that I swear was from the 70s. <laughs> and I think had the original logo to the movie. It was one of the worst prints I've ever seen. But you loved it. It, it was one of the most intense experiences I've ever had. Like... My the way that I almost described this online later on was uh, I thought about the 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 monologue in Reservoir Dogs about like a virgin yeah where like you, you know it's that song it's like all about the pain it hurts it hurts it shouldn't hurt her but it does yeah it does it hurts just like it did the first time so it, hence like, like a, virgin. a virgin yeah. I felt like I almost hadn't seen the movie before, even though I've seen this film so many times in my life. Yeah. It, I felt like, because seeing it on a big screen and that, it, I think especially that f- format. Maybe if I, I don't know, if I'd seen it, it, it has been restored. Uh, that, when we talked about it, I watched the Blu-ray, which, uh, you know, it's still packed a punch. But somehow, seeing it in this cut where... Again, this print was, it felt like they, they had, after it, it screened at a grindhouse, it had been stored away for 40 years, and they unearthed it mm. for this. It was full of scratches. There are a couple moments where you could tell that frames were missing from the movie, and they were just cutting you know cutting around here and there. A, well, a well-worn print. And I, I felt so terrified. Mm. I, I felt like I hadn't. I can't remember the last time I was scared by any movie like that in a theater. And it was a movie that, again, I've seen so many times since I was like 12 years old. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is just, I mean, it's a horror film, but it's a horror film I feel so comfortable with. Not because, not like this warm, fuzzy feeling, but it's like, I know it so well. I feel so familiar with it. Which is funny because you only saw it, didn't you see it the first time though, like when we talked about it? Yeah, but then I saw it five more times for the Cinema Immersion Tank, remember? (laughs) How did I forget that? Yeah. Oh, I need to go back and listen to that episode. There's something weirdly intimate about the Texas Texas Chainsaw Massacre that just makes me want to watch it. I... Watching it five times, you know, watching it's a little obsessive, a little obsessive, but after watching it five times, you feel like it it, it feels really kind of close to you. Well, that's actually (laughs) how I felt about uh, Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me, which I didn't expect. I actually got more comfortable with that movie, as sad as it is. It, it, I actually ended up liking it more as I saw it. And Texas Chainsaw Massacre just feels fresh. I mean, there's so many things about it that I that I remember vividly, just like little things. It's like yeah. there's that dinner scene 
in towards the end of the film and yeah. it fe- and it's so frantic and so much weird stuff is happening it feels like a fever dream yeah but then as soon as the main character jumps through that window and escapes we see like it's morning outside yeah and it's like there, there's light out and it's like it's not dark anymore and it's not a continuity <clears throat> error no it's just it's, it's just you're inside this claustrophobic house which is all dark like all the windows are covered and you know you don't see anything finally she jumps out and it's like the world opens up and she starts running and running and you're like go 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 and it's just one of those it's it, it, it just thinking about that 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 cut like jumping out the window and then landing in like early daylight yeah is it's it's remarkable yeah but it's also such like i almost felt like i felt like i was stuck in my seat and even though logically i knew all right if i if i need to get up at any time i know i can but i felt like pinned to my seat and you just were seeing pinned, these you were pinned to your seat by the intensity of your emotion my the intensity of the emotion that it, it, it somehow just tapped into something i feel like the best ways to watch this movie are on a really old VHS tape or like the print I watched, which was so again, both ways you've seen it. Well, well, <laughs> well, yeah, when I was really young and just this past week, cause it, it um, uh, and I was so I was so into the movie. It's funny because there were actually a couple of people next to me who were like talking they weren't too loud but i could hear them and at the draft house you're supposed to just like kind of write on a card and put and tell the usher like tell these people to be quiet but i was just these people will be eliminated yeah i should have said that but no i just shushed (laughs) them and then they finally did quiet up um but i think i was so into it i didn't even want to move my arm to Mm. get it uh to move to do that but i i don't know why like again it sounds so weird to say it but it it probably holds up better than almost any movie in history as far as you're damn right. Yeah. Like, it's, a, it's, it's such a simple film. Yeah. It has an uncomplicated plot. Yeah. It's easy to understand and all the imagery in it is very visceral. Everything is about atmosphere in the movie. Yeah. Like the, the, from from like from like the decorations of the house and oh, the appearance that, of the landscape oh my God. to the movements of the camera. The, the the way that um again the your the way that again I talked about in our first review, uh that the house is its own character, the 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 the, the chainsaw house. And when she, the girl mm. goes into that room and just everything that room is it, it, it bones. It, yeah, and another thing I wanted to bring up though that I thought about watching this again because you might like there is a little bit that you could say that this movie was made in 1973. It came out in 74. It, you, you might say, well, this is kind of ta- trying to maybe tap into Vietnam era or post-Vietnam era, this feeling that everything is really hopeless. I also thought about the uh, the Manson family a little bit and the mm-hmm. Manson murders, in particular the hitchhiker, which I felt like, I don't know if this was conscious on Hooper's part or not, but I, part of it's because I... I, I I've read a little bit more about the Manson history and about the whole, how that whole cult got formed and how Manson Mm -hmm. kept like, you know, kind of created this insane group of people, but they were all kind of under his image and somehow they were all following him. And this hitchhiker feels like he wandered out of the Manson family into this movie. 
And yet, it also captures that feeling of, like, the way that you kind of hear Altamont described, mm. uh, where that was like the end of the 60s, and it was just full of horror and nastiness, and just this feeling like you're completely unclean and not going to be able to get away, and there's murder that's going to, violence that's going to erupt at any second. Uh, it's like that, but in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you're right. I mean, it, it does feel a lot like a sort of reaction to the counterculture. There's there's this yeah. idea that that nature is good, that that humanity is good, that in a more natural state people are better. Mm -hmm. But you respond to that with the with the fear that the country and that all these isolated places hide terrible things. I mean, I told I talked about this. I talked about this uh, when I first talked about the film. It's like I, I spent some time up in the country at a job. Yeah. And it feels, and when you're there in the middle of the night with no street lights for miles, you feel like that's a place where terrible people could hide. Maybe. Yeah. It might not be true, and that, and that, but you feel yeah, that. Well, way. well, it's. And the funny thing Especially is. Especially for city folk like well, us. Well, the funny thing is, that's become a bit of a cliche with horror, too. Like I, It's been done to death. Yeah. But they did. But even. But lots of films that are like the first film. Um, hold on. Uh, I oh, have to. We, gotta, we, we, gotta... we have a special guest here, folks. Uh, get out of the way. Uh, Corey wants to say something. Hey, Corey, what's here. up? Hey, Corey, what's up? I was eavesdropping on your conversation, and I have to drop in and say to people who actually grew up in the country and grew up in places <laughs> with no streetlights and no sidewalks and, you know, abandoned barns everywhere. I keep forgetting that. <laughs> um, those contrived horror movie tricks do not work at all, and you just become really, really sick of them. I mean, anyone who knows me knows I constantly <laughs> complain about how every horror movie is in a rural setting because it's so hackneyed and it's so lazy and I know it's harder to make a horror movie in a more populated setting. Like, I know it's harder. But do no, your except for Candyman. Do your jobs, <laughs> filmmakers. Be creative. Because let me tell you... Wait, so, so, so I, I'm going to interrupt you. So, like... All right, so yeah, you grew up in the country, more or less, right? So, so what's the thing about like? Give us a specific thing about horror films in that that bothers you. I think it's lazy. I think I've seen enough horror movies to know they rely on the exact same visual cues. For instance, horror movie houses look very similar, both externally in term and in terms of internal decor um horror movie houses are usually isolated so they usually capitalize on the isolation of a rural setting because obviously it's easier for a ghost or a demon or a sl or a serial killer to menace an isolated location but i'm I'm not scared by seeing, you know, weird trees or, again, <laughs> barns or I'm not scared by seeing roads without streetlights. As, as a man from the suburbs, I am terrified of those things. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. Do you wrong. think that maybe it's because so much of 
so much so many of Americans live in in urban areas that those things have power. I mean, I if 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 Texas Chainsaw Massacre was showing like in Sparta right now, would they be just like I don't see what's so scary about this? Yeah, yeah it's. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think it's inconvenient not to have streetlights. Well, I think yeah. it's inconvenient to have. Corey you know, uses anti streetlight. <laughs> but these things are not scary to me. Um, inevitably. So, to any of my fellow, like, rural people... Now, I don't have rural pride <laughs> or anything. I don't live in a rural place now, but... She wanted to go to a place with streetlights. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it just feels lazy to me. I feel like I see the same things over and over and over again. And I feel like I want to see a more diverse array of settings and i want to see directors actually confront issues like how do you have a horror movie in a place with lots of people okay so like uh like like tokyo (laughs) yeah or i know this isn't technically a horror movie but something like attack the block oh yeah Uh. or as you mentioned Candyman. i'm just i want to see um, directors and writers solve the problem of how do you make a scary movie when it's not just a family or or like a big old isolated mansion yeah. or like well, that's the a, word isolated. or like an old lighthouse uh, far away from the town. Basically, I want the crutch of isolation to be removed. Okay. I think it's a crutch. I think it makes directors lazy. It's kind of like how. I've stopped watching found footage movies because there used to be fun, creative, good found footage movies, but now it's a lazy crutch to get away with movies that look poor. It's a lazy way of saying, I don't have to frame a scene well. I don't need to hire competent (laughs) actors. I don't need to direct because I have gritty found footage realism. Take that paranormal activity. (laughs) I just think... It's lazy to set your to set all your movies in like a big house out in the country or in like a camp out in the country. Now let me let me ask you something. Have you seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Yes, I have. Okay, so does that seem? I mean, with all your complaints, do, would you still say that that's a good film? Yes, I would say it's a good film. But I also I saw it when I was young enough that I wasn't as jaded about films like this as I am now. Right. And I'm not going to credit, I'm not going to punish a movie for being stale when it wasn't stale at the time it came out. Okay. Actually, um, I have a funny story about this. My, my parents had a pretty free attitude to letting me watch what I wanted most of the time. But (laughs) at a very young age, I wanted to watch, Texas Chainsaw Massacre when I was like seven or eight. Yeah. And my parents forbade me. And me and my friend Ashley once decided to sneak watch it. But, I mean, my parents were home when we had to sneak watch this. (laughs) Well, we were young enough. Again, when you're seven or eight, my parents didn't just, you know, leave me unattended for no, hours that's that's not a good age to leave children yeah so, and also what are you gonna do like you didn't have like a clubhouse where you're gonna and have you didn't VCR. have any brothers or sisters to distract them, exactly so, so we what else started watching it 
But then my parents caught us, and I was banned from watching movies for a month. That's why you're a professor. <laughs> so I think you can make a good movie in this mold. I'm just sick of seeing every movie in this mold. That, 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 that's fair. And I'm sorry I had to horn in on your conversation as I was overhearing you because... Jack knows this is one of my real pet peeves. I talk about it a lot, don't I? You mean you were agreeing with me even though your <laughs> wife disapproved? <laughs> Jack, I am shocked. Sh- I am shocked. Shocked that there is marital discord. No, there's not. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I would like to tell a lot of these hack directors, like, your tricks don't work on... These hack directors and hactors well well, look i mean look it's also actresses well it's also the thing too you could say like about zombies that like we've seen everything practically under the sun that you can do with zombies but if you go everything gets done to death well also but if you go back to the source if it was still well made then it can still be well made now well everything everything is overdone until it's not Mm. Just yeah. give me more creativity. Give me more variety. And that's and that's kind of what I was talking about with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Because even though we've seen lots of those same kinds of films, so many sequels to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's to to me Texas Chainsaw Massacre still feels more original and fresh than everything that came after it. Even though lots of films that are like the first thing, yeah, seem like what's the big deal after? You well, see again, I'm gonna let you have your show back All right. now. All right. Have a good night, everyone. Get Yay. out. Get out, woman. Nah. nah. <laughs> Thanks, Corey. That, Thank you, Corey. Good point, great. actually. But, yeah, that was uh, great. That was a great little uh, guest spot here. But now that she's gone, we can speak our minds freely. Yeah. What do you think? <laughs> no. Um. What is why I oughta? No, I'm kidding. Um. Thank you. <laughs> she's she's already left. All right. So, no, it, I think it's a lot to do with framing, though. Like, the again, it's all of the context that you're also dealing with that whole era that it was made into mm. like that's why when i i did end up paying to see the remake of texas chainsaw massacre in the theater and it was just everything that that move like everything that the original movie did the op- like the remake did the opposite and was just it's like hey instead of having very simple shots in this car of of um you know these people in the van just just simple things like that that's when i knew this movie was gonna be just a colossal failure it like as soon you've never seen the remake right no like the remake it's like just the opening scene where the the teens are in the car and they pick up the hitchhiker and the instead of the hitchhiker like you know doing the thing where in that in that original he he's just is incredibly weird and he's incredibly just it ratchets up like his weirdness because at first he's having like a conversation with Franklin, but then he does one thing after another after another until he actually cuts Franklin's arm and then leaves the van. In the remake, he I think blows his head off, and the camera does a thing where it does it does a shot where it goes through his head to look at like everybody in the car sc- screaming. What? It, that was when I realized sometimes you want to try to give a movie a chance if like, oh, all right, well, this scene wasn't very good. Let's try to see. Maybe it'll come back. No, I was like, fuck this movie. <laughs> I stuck around and watched it, though. That was the one that was produced by Michael Bay. 
to give you an idea. Oh, no. The, the Platinum Dunes horror movies. But, but anyway, the point I wanted to make, though, was I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre in a theater, and it scared the crap out of me. That's all I could say. Like, And if you ever get a chance to see Texas Chainsaw Massacre, see it on the in the worst condition that it's in. Oh, one last thing I wanted to mention, see too. See it through a pinhole in a piece of cardboard? <laughs> Or uh, no, no, no. perhaps you want while to, wearing some eclipse glasses. You, you know, you, you, you want to experience it in a way where it surrounds you, but yeah, you don't want to like watch on your phone or something like that. But anyway, here's to Toby Hooper. I raised my glass to you. Yeah. You you made a great film and unfortunately I want I want just want to say one more word. Like, have you seen many of his other movies? Like no, well, I can't aside say from that Poltergeist. I, I yeah, because I never saw um, I think he made like his follow-up to I think Texas I saw Chainsaw. Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. Yeah, we did talk about that, which I, I find is a fun movie. Dennis um, Hopper. Have you ever seen Life Force? No. Oh, Life Force is it's kind of fun. It's it's an unabashed B movie. It's basically about space vampires that come to Earth, and it's written by I think it's co-written by Dan O'Bannon <laughs> of Alien and. The movie has sixty percent of the movie is watching this actress Matilda May walking around naked, like stark naked. She's like one of the alien women. You know, a film where I I, I have a terrible idea now, but I'm <laughs> okay. But I'm just like imagining like a sort of Texas Chainsaw Massacre mo- like style movie mm-hmm. where like our protagonist is a woman, but she but basically like. All her clothes get taken away, and she's trying to escape while naked. So, like, 60% of the film is her naked trying to escape. Mm. And I'm just like, is this a good idea, or is this sexist? Well, you know what's funny you mentioned that? because I'm <laughs> Not I just, sure if sexist or well, not. Well, now you're making me think of, speaking of horror stuff, uh, later this month uh, on Netflix, there's going to be this movie, uh, an adaptation of the Stephen King book called Gerald's Game. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you ever heard of it. I actually, and I read this book, and I, I like it quite a bit, and what the movie is, what the, no, the movie, well, the book is about this woman is like this, like, housewife who's in, like, her 40s or something, and she, the book starts off with her in bed, and she's handcuffed to the, the, the bed. I think I've heard of this. And she's almost, she's practically naked. All she has on is her her, her underwear, and her, her husband's this big overweight oaf of a guy and you know he's she's like really sick of him and really turned off by him and what she does is like she's so pissed off at him she kicks him in the balls and he has a heart attack and dies and she's still handcuffed to the bed she's still handcuffed to the bed that's an an instance where going back to what Corey was just talking about they're in the middle of nowhere this is before uh, the age of cell phone, so she obviously she came and get to her phone anyway, and she's handcuffed to the bed, and that's the whole book. Yeah, and this is like a Cujo situation. I thought of that actually, like when because I've read Cujo this past summer too. I haven't seen the movie. Uh, did we talk about Cujo before? We've talked about Cujo because I saw it like a year yeah. ago. Yeah, because I, I haven't seen the movie, but I read the book, and yeah, half that that half that story is. The mother and her kid in the car with that dog outside. There's also a dog in Gerald's game, and that's in Stephen King fashion. It's pretty gruesome what certain happens there. But 
they're they adapting it into a movie. And so when I read the book, I kind of thought to myself, well, if they made this into a movie, could they keep it where she is basically naked for the whole time? Like, she has on her underwear, but she is topless. She's in this extremely vulnerable position. Now, you know, it's one thing to picture that as you're reading it. Mm -hmm. But now, like, if you... I Again, I haven't seen the movie yet, but I've seen the trailer. And they decide not only to cover up her top but she's just wearing like a full nightgown yeah. and i wonder i guess maybe that won't have a different effect but i wonder, certainly but now you're visceral. making me think about that it makes her also less vulnerable in a way because yes. she's not like there's also another element in the story that involves i won't get into it here if you've read the book you know what i mean that almost felt the that story felt like king decided to take that part of Cujo and just expand it and make it even more terrifying. Yeah. You know, where you're just all alone and in your head and it's not just things outside that might get you. It's also just survival. Yeah. I mean, a lot of King's books are about, or a lot of his stories that I've seen turned into movies yeah. basically are about people isolated in very strange ways. In Cujo, it's people trapped in a car. Yeah, in The Shining. In, in The Shining, it's the hotel. And uh, I was... Oh, what was the other one I was trying to think of? <laughs> You're about to say Dreamcatcher. No. <laughs> uh, shoot. What was I thinking of? There was a thir there was another movie that I had in mind. There probably Oh, mi uh, Misery. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, or or oh, another one. The Mist. Well, I haven't seen The Mist, so... All right. But, but yeah, no, no, misery for sure. So, you know, that, that and the idea of being handcuffed to a bed is actually quite genius because actually a lot of, in real life, there are, if if, if you're participating in sadomasochistic uh, play, mm -hmm. you, you need to have some, a, a sort of uh, safety precautions taken. Yes. I, you, you can't be alone. You can't, uh, you got to make sure you can be able to free yourself, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and you know have a plan yeah now this is about people who don't do that plan yeah, yeah no, <laughs> but no, there are plenty of people yeah. who die in snm play because of careless mistakes and because of really unfortunate consequences so that's yeah. a real thing mm -hmm. uh so and the idea of being in an isolated location just handcuffed as the result of one wrong move. Yeah, and that nobody's coming for you either. Like, there, yeah, and yeah, and that is fa that is a fantastic idea. It is, and I and, and that's like 128 hours too. Like a man is paid 127 hours, one extra hour. You were thinking of like 28 days later or something. 127 hours. It's yes. a man with his arm pinned between two rocks. Yes, and and that's not even new either. It's like there's an Ambrose Beer short story about like a guy who gets covered in a rock slide, like a soldier. And he can't move. The rocks are too heavy. The only thing he can move are his toe, which is near the trigger of the gun, which is pointed at his face. I, I never heard of that. It's it doesn't get a uh, that that author sounds familiar. I think Ridley Scott did a short film of it once. Someone has done a short film of it. Hmm. Ambrose Beer is the guy who wrote Incident at Owl Creek Bridge, which is the inspiration for a lot of horror like stories. That sounds familiar. It's like um, what's that movie? Tim Robbins, Vietnam. Oh, Jacob's Ladder? Jacob's Ladder. Okay. It's an inspiration for Jacob's Ladder. That, okay. That'll give you an idea. All right. Now, I'm not trying to say in my talking about this, I'm not saying that the movie won't be good. 
again, I, I actually am excited for it because it's from a director I really like, this guy Mike Flanagan. The actress who is the lead, it was kind of funny when, when she, I heard that she was cast, and all of a sudden my mind, maybe I have like a dirty man mind or something. You do, but go ahead. Yeah, but <laughs> I guess I do. Um, she's The lead is Carla Gugino. I don't know if you've seen her in anything. She pops up in Sin City. She's actually, I think, the one actress who does get topless in that movie. Huh. And, uh, and she, and frankly, she doesn't look too bad. Uh, she she has a nice body. I, I will, yes. Uh, just objectively, uh, she has a nice body. And I thought to myself, are, will, would a filmmaker exploit that? Like, it, it, to go to the lengths that the book did. And I thought to myself at first... No, I guess you'd have to give her a bra. I'd... It's it's about <laughs> that sounds really wrong. Of it's me about to even think that it's like... about the director and the actress having a conversation and deciding whether this is right for them and if they can work under those conditions. Yeah, and also and like so, if you, you gotta know... be also on also if you gotta be on set for all those days where you're just naked in front of people and and is though... even gonna get any play. I mean, yeah, you might not even show it all the time. You might have a lot of close-ups, really. And I mean, so I understand yeah. why they went this direction. I mean, but to just, have a film like that, where like the the main character is naked for a majority of the time, that's a really visceral image. Yeah, but to, but that goes back to you. You just made me think of it talking about if you had like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre style movie, but she's naked, right. which obviously again. We live in a culture where I don't think that would fly for a second. Like, that would be just, you know, it, it, I can understand totally why. It would be, like, it ar- would, it would be very exploitive. It w- you would find that in art films. You wouldn't find that in a major release. Mm. I, it's not as not if horror that. film isn't exploitative. Well, also, it's, you know, because you have, you know, there's porn out there. But porn has a very different function from a horror movie. It's very hard, I think, to... It's very difficult to put those. Two... <laughs> I couldn't resist. Um, it's difficult to put those two together. I mean, I, you know, it's hard for me to think of many like porn horror films or horror porn films. No, I mean, it's it's, it's, tricky. it's a small genre subgenre. I can think of directors in horror that have worked in porn. I know Wes Craven made a porn film. <laughs> Wes Craven. Uh, uh, but anyway, once again, like I said, Toby Hooper. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about? No, I think uh, despairing about Star Wars was enough. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I could talk about some other movies I've seen just to give you a quick rundown. I, I saw Logan Lucky, which is a new Steven Soberg movie. Good. I quite like that a lot. Uh, as a fan of heist movies, that really hit the spot. Um, if you it, Please go see that movie if you haven't. It's still playing in theaters. Support Steven Soberg. He, he came out of retirement for you. He was retired for four years. This thus continues your streak of having seen every Steven Soderbergh movie except Kafka, yes! which I have seen. Yes. And no other Steven Soderbergh movie. Hey, between the two of us, we've seen every Steven Soderbergh movie. We're going to go up to Steven Soderbergh and say that. 
Well, I told you my hey, story about my friend has seen all your movies except Kafka. I've seen Kafka. I've told We're you great. the story about that, where that actually sort of happened, and it was very embarrassing because I saw him in a Q and A, and he was signing autographs. <laughs> I can't believe I haven't remembered. Didn't I this. tell you about this? this I, I have. This sounds the, like a story you would tell me. I have the signed uh, uh, Steven Soderbergh program for Che on my fridge. Oh yeah. Um. Like, cause I, he was at, he was just special screening of Che and I got him to sign the program and back and I'm, I saw, and I'm really nervous and I kind of say, I, I really love such and such movie. And, and my friends really love Kafka cause I was thinking of you and Matt. I don't know why it just came out like that, but I'm missing a beat. He just looks up and he says, friend, your friend loves Kafka. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think that <laughs> even in my absence, I made an impression on Steven Soderbergh. Yeah, you kind of did. <laughs> Steven, you're a friend of the show. Thanks for listening. You can come on anytime. Um, oh my God, he's going to send us an email and be like, yeah, I'm coming. I'm going to talk to your Kafka friend. Yeah, but I should mention those. Yes, my so friend liked Kafka. <laughs> it was the stupidest thing I've ever said to a celebrity. It it was worth it for this podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm the one man who loves Kafka. <laughs> he doesn't even love Kafka. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny about that too though after that he actually mentioned then uh no no we're gonna be restoring the movie and uh you know we, we we did a remix of it or something like that oh cool that was that was nine years ago and that hasn't come out yet oh darn who knows why that well that 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 deserved a, a you know a kind of a blu-ray blu-ray remix yeah, because that was that was that was great yet. black and white yeah uh, black and white uh film photography that i will fantastic. watch that I will watch that soon, and then I will have when, seen every... When Kafka comes out in Blu-ray, we'll watch it together. Good idea. And finally, your gap will be filled. Then I don't have to say that my friends have seen it. That's... I feel so... That's one of the most guilty moments of my life. I've really opened up here on the podcast to you people listening. No, it's there. beautiful. No, was it great. was... No, it was terrible. Like, I... Like... It's like, well, who says that to somebody? My friends love it. I haven't seen it, but they love it. No, your friend loves Kafka. Only one person has seen that movie aside from me. I don't know if that was what he meant. But never mind. Um, Beautiful. But yeah, Logan Lucky, yeah, he came out of retirement. His only other... He only shot two seasons of a TV show as his, quote, retirement. Um, but anyway, so that was that. Um, yeah, I can't think of too much else. I mean, we were kind of in like a slightly dead season for it's summer we're all doing other things yeah i went to the beach we did and i saw you at the beach you probably you might have seen on social media which i'll plug right now facebook.com slash wages cinema twitter.com slash wages cinema i post a picture of us being all like we're having a beach day leave us alone beaches yeah beaches good time good time and we talked about that movie um, and remember, if you ever want to send us a, an email with any comments or things like that, you can always send it to wagesofcinema at gmail.com. Actually, it's funny, when I uh, posted that we were going to record tonight, uh, we got a message uh, from 
a, a listener who's commented before, Pedro Sebastian Pizarro Rojas. Hey, Pedro. Which I love saying that name. How are you doing, PSPR? <laughs> <laughs> That's his acronym. He asked us, uh, are you going to talk about it? And that's a good question. I no, haven't seen it yet. No, we're not talking about it because we have not seen it yet. Yeah. I mean, I've seen the original Jack, series. you're going to see it. Yeah, I'll probably see it. I don't know if I'll do a podcast about it. You might have to just wait and hear. Uh, I actually was trying to read the book, and I, because that thing is like the size of War and Peace, I, I haven't been able to read it yet. It's like, that book is like War and Peace. Leo's Toy Monster. Store by War and Peace. <laughs> Did you just make a joke from the Peanuts movie? Yes. Ah, I thought so. Your friend this. makes jokes about the Peanuts movie. All right, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> and when we come back, uh, we will have our uh, What the Devil is That movie, which we're catching up on uh, for the month of August. So uh, stay tuned. Stay tuned. 